If you have your Bibles with you, we are we will be reading from uh, Luke 16 this morning, verses 1 through 13. And if you would, please stand, if you're able, for the reading of Christ's Word. Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. Jesus said to his disciples, Once there was a rich man who had a steward, and charges were laid against him that he was squandering his property. So he called him and said to him, What's all this I hear about you? Present an account of your stewardship. I'm not going to have you as my steward anymore. At this, the steward said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking away my stewardship from me. I can't do manual work, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I have no idea what to do. So that what people will welcome me into their households when I am being fired as a steward. So he called his master's debtors to him one by one. How much? He asked the first. Do you owe my master? A hundred measures of olive oil, he replied. Take your bill, he said to him. Sit down quickly and make it fifty. To another he said, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he replied. Take your bill, he told him, and make it eighty. And the master praised the dishonest steward because he had acted wisely. Children of this world, you see, are wiser than the children of light when it comes to dealing with their own generation. So let me tell you this, Jesus says. Use the dishonest stuff called money to make yourself friends. Then, when it is gone, they will welcome you into the home that lasts Someone who is faithful in small matters, Jesus continued, will also be faithful in a large one. Someone who is dishonest in a small matter will be dishonest in a large one. If you haven't been faithful with that wicked thing called money, you who are going to be entrusted with the wise wealth of God, and if you haven't been faithful in looking after what belongs to someone else, who is going to give you what is your own? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us this morning, that we can see and hear your word this morning. We thank you for gathering those who have been sick. We continue to pray for those who are in need of healing and those who are sick. At this time, Lord, open our eyes. At this time, open our hearts and our ears to receive your word, for it is a gift to us to give us direction and guidance for how we are to live out Christ's commandments, to live out Christ's reign in our lives. We offer these things in His name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> if there are a couple of qualities, a couple of character traits we need now more than ever in today's world, here are three. Integrity, honesty, and transparency. You might have even heard the quote at some point in your life, integrity is what you are doing when nobody is watching. Integrity is what you are doing when nobody is watching. There may be bits of truth to this quote, no doubt. And there's one quality that this steward in the parable was missing, that quality of honesty, that characteristic of integrity. Because throughout the parable, he is only concerned about himself. That's it. He is only concerned about himself. Let me bring out about five examples. First, he's concerned about handing over his accounts to the rich man. 
of what could happen. He's concerned about that. Second, he's concerned about losing his job. Third, he's concerned about his future. As he says, I can't do any manual labor and I'm too ashamed to beg. Fourth, he's concerned about what people might think about him when he loses his job. So he tries to figure out ideas of how to win people back to him so that they'll take him in to their house. And fifth, he's concerned about making the money back he owes to the rich man. He is only concerned about himself throughout this parable. And he wouldn't have any of these concerns if he had only done one thing. Be honest. Have some integrity about what small riches he was given and be able to be faithful in those small riches. And throughout nearly every one of Jesus' parables, when he mentions someone like a farmer or a vine dresser or a shepherd or even in this case, the master, this rich man, this is referring to God himself. So when you hear of the rich man who has a steward, this is God. As one scholar writes, the master is God. The steward in this parable is Israel. Israel is supposed to give, uh, excuse me, supposed to be God's property manager, the light of God's world, responsible to God and set over his possessions. And notice that the dishonest steward, he's not lending money. He's not lending money at all. In fact, in Israel in this time, they were, Jews were forbidden to lend any money in interest. They couldn't act like what we would call banks today. You couldn't lend out money, but you could use other uh, properties and other possessions that you had to lend over. And in this case, you have, um, you have oil or you have wheat. How much do you owe? I owe 100 of oil. I owe um, 50 of oil of wheat, whatever it might be. They couldn't lend money, but they could lend these possessions. So if you read closely, the dishonest manager is indeed Israel. Because we have to remember the context in which it was originally spoken by Jesus to his disciples. But if we read in the larger context, he's reading and he's speaking to also Pharisees who are around him. He's speaking to the crowds that are near him but he is definitely speaking directly to his disciples. Because in this day and time, Israel was wasting God's good gifts, God's riches that they had been given. And if you go back and you look at this word of how this manager of all of these goods had been wasting these riches of the rich man, it's this Greek word that keeps popping up. And it means to scatter, to disperse, or even to waste. And it's used only three times in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew 25, 24, the parable of the talents. When the last servant who has been given talents and money to invest in and to use well, he decides not to invest in that talent, that money. Instead, the last servant, he holds it. He doesn't do anything with the talents. He just keeps it close. He doesn't invest them like the other servants had. The second example, it happens right before our reading this morning in Luke 16. It happens in Luke 15, where we have this parable of the prodigal son. 
And if you remember the parable of the prodigal son, he goes and he goes before his father and he tells his father, give me my inheritance. This is the younger son, which is equivalent to saying, I wish you would hurry up and die. So he slaps his father in the face, essentially, and saying, give me the money you owe me. And the prodigal son then takes that money and he moves off to a faraway country and he disperses, he scatters the money, he wastes the money everywhere to the point where he is now without a single cent to his name. He's begging for food and he's working in and on a pig farm, which would have been a joke that Jesus is telling his audience in this day because the Jews didn't eat meat that was related to pigs. You didn't get near any pork. And here you have a man without a single cent to his name, and he is working in the mud with the pigs. And he gets to that point where he then realizes, I've lost everything. I now need to run back to my father and beg him to take me back into his own home because I have wasted, I have squandered, I have dispersed all my money. And then the last time that word is used is here in Luke 16, where you have this manager, this steward, wasting the rich man's wealth. Every single time it is related to wealth, a dispersing of wealth and then scattering it everywhere to the point where there's nothing left. So instead of investing the money well, the riches, instead of helping others, and instead of spending it wisely, the manager's blowing every bit of it. And unlike the servant in Matthew 25, who, who was afraid to invest the wealth he had been given, the steward here in Luke 16, he's using his money in the same way, he's not using it wisely. Worry, the prodigal son in Luke 15, he is wasting every cent. And now he's not sure how much he actually owes the rich man here in Luke 16. Notice that he goes to each of the individuals that owe the rich man. He says, how much do you owe? Church, that's his job. He's supposed to know how much that each person owes the rich man. And he's going to them and saying, how much is it that you owe? He's not even being responsible for the very responsibilities that has been set over him with the riches and the wealth that he had been given. And so what makes him a dishonest manager and steward of the wealth that has been given to him is that he's dishonest with his responsibilities because he cannot take seriously what Israel also struggled with is that their true wealth came from God himself. Their true wealth came from God himself. And when they were reminded of their responsibilities, they quickly and very irresponsibly ran to fulfill their roles before God and before his people. And just like the steward in the parable, Israel got the job done. But as Jesus is pointing out, through this parable, Israel is not being very faithful and honest with their responsibilities, which is the very reason why Jesus leaves them with these words in the closing of the parable. Someone who is faithful in a small matter 
will also be faithful in a large one. Someone who is dishonest in a small matter will also be dishonest in a large one. What I appreciate most is this last part. Time and time again in Scripture, God brings about His own kingdom through the smallest of things, doesn't He? I mean, we just finished celebrating the birth of Christ. God brings about His kingdom through a baby. In other parables, God brings about His kingdom through mustard seeds. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? They're tiny. I mean, itty-bitty. And yet they can grow and they can grow and they can grow into something much larger than what that tiny seed what you thought was not able to produce. God is able to bring about his kingdom through spit and mud. If you remember the miracle that Jesus gives to the blind man, he can't see and so what does he do? He takes the mud, he spits into it, and he rubs it into the blind man's eyes, gives him vision. And he is even able to bring about his kingdom through a few fish and loaves of bread. God reminds us time and time again that he brings about his kingdom through the smallest of things. And he doesn't typically, there are cases in scripture, I'm not going to overlook them, where he does bring about his kingdom through grand, very large and magnificent ways, but it's rare. Which reminds us not to look for the grand, magnificent ways to live out Christ's mission. That's what I want to set before us this morning. Not to look for the grand, magnificent ways to live out Christ's mission. You know why? Because we will miss in the very ways that Christ works. And that is through the small things that we are called to be faithful to. And I've seen and I've heard too many pastors in churches develop very grand visions and elaborate visions for their churches. Sometimes those plans, as well-intentioned and as great as they are, they end up becoming burdensome to the people, to the churches that they are meant to serve. Sometimes they turn people into projects. We, you need to do this in order to be this person. And it can become so burdensome. And they sometimes accidentally develop into spiritual burnout. I've seen it too many times where it becomes so burdensome on a church that they don't want anything to do with that church. They don't want to do anything related to reading the scriptures because they are in a spiritual burnout. Big plans, well, they're big. Big plans tend to be very heavy because they are big. Small plans, I think, are more digestible. They're more accessible. They're more flexible and adjustable. I hope I got enough bubbles in that. But they tend to be that way because we see again and again in Scripture that He works through the smallest of things in order to bless the world widely. And so when we look at this passage, what I really have in mind this morning is trying to discern what it is that Christ has for us as Hickory Grove Baptist Church for 2019. So you could see this almost like a New Year's resolution sermon. What is it that Christ has for us in the year of 2019? 
Hopefully, we're not going to be like the dishonest manager in the parable. Instead, we must take seriously the small gifts, the wealth, the possessions, and the power Christ has handed us over to steward and to steward it well. Again, in this passage, the power and the possessions the manager has are only there because of the rich man has given them to him. He is only rich because the rich man. He only has wealth because of the wealthy man, namely God who has given them over to him to steward well. And it's no different for us today, church. We have an enormous amount of riches given to us by God. And if you keep hearing riches and you keep hearing wealth as uh, your wallet or your pocketbook, that's not what I'm talking about. In this passage, as it relates to this parable, riches aren't merely just how, much do- how many dollars you have in your bank account. That's just only a small snippet of what we mean by riches, what Jesus means by wealth. You could have social wealth. You could have physical wealth, spiritual wealth, financial wealth, status type wealth, and so forth. We could keep going down the list. I think when I throw that word out to you and say wealth, I think you need to be thinking much broadly. What type of wealth has God given us? What type of gifts has God given us? Because anything we own, it's truly God's in the first place. He's just loaning it out to us to use well. And just like the parable, we've been given these things to care for our families, to care for our neighbors, friends, and yes, even strangers. The meal that you plan to cook tonight, may your table be extended to invite somebody else. That extra dollar you made this month, maybe you can invest it well for the benefit of someone else. That extra jacket or two or three or four that I have in my closet, well, maybe we need to open our hands to those jackets to somebody else and give them away. Now you might say, well, pastor, those are my dollars. Those are my possessions. Those are, that's my food. Those are my jackets. Let me say this in humility and sincerity. As soon as we begin thinking in the first person, I, me, my, mine, we've completely lost sight of the scriptures. We've completely lost the parable's main point that we just read. Because the steward of that money, that wealth, it wasn't his in the first place. It was loaned out to him. The wealth isn't the steward's. It was loaned out for him to steward and to invest for others. And then you might push back again and say, and I have to say this because I had a couple of people in past churches where I've taught a lesson similar to this, come up to me and say, well, this sounds a whole lot like socialism. It's not socialism, church. To say that we have things and we are to give them over to others, it may sound like it, but nobody's forcing our hands to give these things away. There's a difference. There's a radical difference between what the gospel presents as God's economy and what socialism might say. Socialism forces the hands of its nation, of its citizens. The gospel doesn't force our hands. It changes our hearts and our eyes to see the world as Christ sees it. And it's, Christ sees the world like this, a world naked, 
a world hungry, a world tired, lonely, thirsty, and searching. And so what Christ invites us to do is to meet the world where it is at, clothing it, feeding it, giving it rest, and filling it with meaning and purpose. And guess what? He is inviting us into this. You cannot read any part of the scriptures and say that Christ isn't inviting us to be his hands and feet because he certainly is at every point. And when he can take a moment to teach about what it means to live out his ways, he does it. Be my hands and feet. Go, therefore, and be my disciples. The world will know you by what? By your love. He is inviting us to be that love, that way, that light to the world. Living the gospel of Christ isn't that complicated. We tend to make it very complicated. It's as simple as looking at all of our possessions, our talents, and our gifts, and then asking Christ to leverage each of them for His kingdom and His glory. And looking, taking an inventory, the mower that I have in my shed, how can somebody use that this week? Well, not this week, hopefully. Maybe if there's plenty of leaves to be mulched and blown out. But how can they, how can it be used? Or maybe even the extra time that you might have, go rake your neighbor's yard, help them. Or maybe the extra food that you have left over at dinner, pack it up and take it to the family down the road who might need it. Have an extra $20? I'm sure she's not in here, but I'm sure Jenny would be glad to help you find a family who needs that $20 to keep their electric bill paid or their electricity turned on. There's plenty of opportunities in which we have been entrusted with the small things of our daily, weekly, monthly life in which we can be unlike the dishonest steward and manager so that we can live with great integrity, with great honesty, and great virtue to promote the well-being and flourishing of others. So when I look at 2019, I do see us with a year devoted to being challenged by God to do great and small things. I see a year being changed slowly and surely into the image of Christ. I see a year of sowing and laboring in the fertile fields of our own families. I see us in a year of plenty, a year of contentment, a year of enough. I see us in a year of faithfulness in the service of Christ. I see us in a year of seeing our lives through the lenses of Scripture, where Scripture gives us a vision of how we can see our families flourishing, our neighborhoods flourishing. And lastly, I see us in a year of being cultivated by the Spirit to do the things of Christ, wherever He is sending us. So may this be a year where we invest into the small things so that we can show with great integrity that the world indeed is being changed. I do see that. I do. I already see it for us. And so this is really where the invitation lies for us. This took serious timing, and I didn't know how to put it before you. I, I didn't. Uh, but see it more as this New Year's resolution, this New Year's covenant with 
yourself, with your spouse, with your family, with your family here at church, is that how can we covenant with one another to Christ and to each other? And so I laid out, and I hope you would in, in, enjoy this and join me uh, in, in living this out in the year of 2019. And I will leave copies of this next week that you can take home, you can read and see where I see us going in being faithful in the small things. But if I can give you a snippet, here it is. And it's laid out January all the way to December of next year. And each month we focus on one small thing as a church together. So it gives us a vision. It says, all right, what is it as a church that we are working on together to do this small thing? And here they are, January. We cultivate holy time. You might think, what in the world is holy time? This is where we are striking a balance of serving, working, family relationships, creating, learning, personal health, social obligations. Raise your hand if you are overwhelmed with how to balance your time. My, I better see more hands than that because if you're not, I'm going to you to help me. It is difficult, isn't it, as a family, as just an individual to balance all that you have in life. So that will sort of set the tempo for us throughout the year of how to balance our life as a covenant with Christ but with one another. February, vows. Remember those marriage vows? Remember maybe even single vows, singleness vows. In February, since it's Valentine's Day on the 14th, we'll figure out what it means to look at our commitments of marriage and singleness to build up the holy community with one another. And so we'll look for though every single day of living out the vows that we have with our significant other as a service to Christ and to each other. And each Sunday, let me back up and say this, each Sunday will be a sermon tailored towards that. Next, March, planted in the church. What does it mean to actually be a part of a community of faith? I think there's so many misunderstandings of go to church. Well, why in the world do we gather in the first place? Why are we even here to be built up into the image of Christ? So we'll look at what it means to be planted in the church and in the local church as a covenantal act with one another. In April, kid discipleship. We will take April towards looking at our children, our grandchildren, to disciple them well. What does it mean for my little one to love Christ? I think we'll have a great time and significant impact and we'll see in that month of how we can disciple our children. May sustaining creation lord willing it is getting warm in may and that things are beginning to blossom and bloom and grow what does it mean for us to take care of god's good creation and to cultivate creation so that we can be a family of faith that is doing these things to enjoy god's good creation june unselfish self-care I go into book, Barnes & Noble and Books A Million all the time. That is my sweet spot. I love the smell of a book. It's probably close to idolatry, but I love it. 
But there is plenty of self-care, self-help books out there. But I think we can have a Christian self-care. There's plenty of books that you can go and buy from Barnes & Noble and Books A Million about how to help yourself, but they are not always rooted in the Scriptures. So what does it look like for us to be unselfish, yet care for ourselves? Because that certainly is an important part of how we love God. July, just living. Not just living as in, oh, we're just living. Just living as how can we look at our lives as leverages to bring about justice in our family, in our neighborhood? There will be plenty of options there. August, covenantal friendship. Uh, not only should you see this church as <clears throat> building friendships with one another, but hopefully you have very tight relationships with other people. And so what this month will look at is how can we covenant together as friends and as families to build stronger bonds of friendship that last through the very difficult times in our lives and to be there for one another no matter what's going on in our lives. September, hospitality. This is something that Jade and I have tried so hard to develop, but it is so hard to cultivate. Hospitality. What does it mean for uh, you as a family to be hospitable to those in your neighborhood and community? What does it genuinely look like to invite the stranger into your home and to feed them? What does that look like? How should you do that? That's what September will look at. October, wise finances. Anybody have a problem with finances? Just like a huge majority of Americans, we all do. How do we, how do we invest well? Not only for our financial future, but how do we invest well for others? What does that dollar, as I said a few minutes ago, look like spent for somebody else and their benefit? How can you financially be wise with and steward the finances that you have? November, a reclaiming of spiritual habits. I am thoroughly convinced that um, the spiritual habits that we create in our daily lives, they do sustain us. They actually cultivate in us a character of Christ. And so we need very wholesome and holy spiritual habits every single day to direct our lives. That's what November will look like. In December, since we are easing out of December, how many of you feel like you have a lot of stuff now in December? Yes. So December will look at the stuff of our lives. That's the physical stuff, maybe the less material stuff that we have, and see how we can invest well and steward well the stuff in our lives in order to it, for it to be cultivated, in order for it to be leveraged by Christ for his kingdom. That's where I see us in 2019. Being able to be cultivated by Christ in order for us to live out his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder that all of this, anything that we own, it is completely loaned out to us. And that all that we possess was gifted over to us in the first place. 
and that we were able to even claim ownership of something is because you first owned it. And like a good father, you gifted it to us in order for us to steward it well, in order for us to invest it well. And so as we look into this new year that's quickly upon us, may you begin preparing our hearts and our minds and taking all consideration of our life and seeing how we can do this together as a church, as a body of believers that are invested together towards the small things you've given us. And as Jesus reminds us, it is when we take those small things and we are faithful to them that he will give us much bigger things to take care of. But right now, all we're concerned with is the small things. And we're thankful for the small things you give us. So may we be able and may you give us a spirit of discernment of how we can invest into the good things you've given us for your kingdom and glory's sake. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we're about to receive another good gift, and that is your supper. Remind us of what it means, what the significance of it is, and what greater way to begin a new year than receiving your supper. To point us in the direction that your life was meant for ours, and now our lives are meant for you. So now, as we transition in this time, prepare our hearts and our minds to take of it in a wholesome way. We offer these things in your name. Amen.